This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Wednesday the 28th of July 2021. And across the country, Norman, there's been some good news depending on where you are and some less good news if you're in Greater Sydney. In South Australia and Victoria, at least, we've seen lockdowns lift over the last 24 hours or so, or at least rolling towards lifting, which is showing the power of interventions, I suppose. Yeah, they went hard, they went early, and they're reaping the benefits of that. And with, uh, in particular in Victoria, since midnight last night, staged you know, the beginning of a stage lifting of restrictions, not a not a sudden opening up like you saw on Freedom Day in the UK. So just being very cautious uh, and hoping that there are no surprises out there in the community. But they've had a period of time where they've had no cases diagnosed where they've been circulating in the community. Which isn't the case, of course, in Greater Sydney. They had uh, another big day yesterday, 172 cases. There's still there's a growing number of people out in the community infectious compared to a couple of weeks ago. They were going, oh, this number's really stubborn in the 20s. It was 60 yesterday. And the lockdowns were due to lift in Sydney originally on the 31st of July, which is only a couple of days away. What do we think is going to happen at the 31st? I'm guessing things are going to not be lifting then. Um, I have no idea what's going to be happening. You hear rumours coming out of the New South Wales Cabinet that they might lift restrictions in parts of Sydney where there hasn't been any, haven't been any cases, targeted lifting of restrictions. The reality is, and we just need to remind CoronaCast listeners and go right back to the beginning of CoronaCast where we talked about the modelling from overseas. We know that we're just beginning to understand this. The modelling from overseas, and it hasn't changed at all, the that you have to go hard and you have to go early in this and social distancing is is the one thing that will control this pandemic when you don't have other means at your hand yes contact tracing can help control it at very small numbers of cases but as soon as it gets to a certain number um, it's out of control knowing what that number is is really hard to determine and new south wales was several days late in determining that number. It's easy to be the armchair critic here, but we were talking on CoronaCast of you know having to go early because it was already over the city. It made no sense to lock down LGAs in the eastern suburbs when it really was already clearly across the city. And uh, paying the price of it now, and we quoted the Sydney University research from last year, which showed for every day you delay can be a week at the other end. And that's the problem that New South Wales is facing now. The curve is not bending, and there really is only one thing now that will bend the curve back down, and that is not contact tracing. Contact tracing is holding the fort. Magnificent job by people working incredibly long hours and hard hours. They're holding the fort, and it's true what the Premier said was that you know many, many hundreds, if not thousands of cases have been prevented by the contact tracers. All they're doing is holding the fort, and it's slowly increasing. It's not going back into the box. And so a more severe lockdown is actually what's needed. And it's needed not waiting another couple of days, but it's actually needed now if if you're going to go hard and as early as you possibly can. we How many more days of doing the same and expecting a different result are we going to have? So you say the evidence is in. Why wouldn't New South Wales be doing it? What are some of the counter arguments here? So a counter argument is the contact tracers are actually going to triumph in the end. Well, they haven't triumphed and it's unlikely that they will. A counter-argument is that you've got, you know, why why um, 
penalise people in communities where you haven't got spread versus others? Uh, why restrict activity? Why tell people what to do rather than allowing them to actually make decisions for themselves? Those are all the kinds of arguments that are made which are really philosophical and ideological rather than scientific. The science would say you've got to separate people and stop them spreading the virus. And if you go right back to Mike Ryan's comment at WHO, I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was probably February, early March of last year, where he said, you've got to go hard, you've got to go early, otherwise the virus will win. And he has been right consistently. And the vast majority of epidemiologists agree with him that that is actually what you have to do. So that's what's got to happen. So you say, well, what more could you do? Well, you can still travel 10 kilometers in Sydney, albeit to exercise. Bring that down to two and a half, five kilometers. So that even if that's just a signal to people that you can't drive halfway across Sydney, if you think that um, you know it's okay to drive 10 kilometers and I'll just have a quick um, hello and a cup of tea with my mom or grandma, you know, if they said 10 kilometers, they can't, they can't be too serious about it. Come down to five kilometers. Maybe insist on masks outside. Again, we tend not to catch this outside, but it does give people a signal about social distancing and being careful and really making the same restrictions about work that they've made in the LGAs there so that people do stay at home. It's citywide because there's also an issue of equity here. If you were to lift, say, restrictions on the northern beaches, Sydney is already a divided city. You saw that at the, um, at the protests last weekend. How would you feel if you're doing the right thing and you're living in Fairfield, Bankstown, you're doing the right thing and you see people going off, I mean, I said this yesterday on television, to a Justin Hemis restaurant in the northern beaches and having fun. I mean, it's not going to go quite that way, but you would feel this is unjust. The community has got to feel that they're working together. How are you going to tell as a community leader in Southwest Sydney to your community, which doesn't speak uh, English as a first language by and large, that they should do this when they see other people in the same city not? So it, it's got to be pulling together as a community and it's as much about the signals that you give about social distancing as anything else. So if you're absolutely divided up, you're never quite sure which one of the activities uh, that you're doing is working. It's the package. Right. So we're talking about equity. We're talking about signals and obviously strong social distancing measures. And you mentioned the WHO comments in February last year. Well, we've got something that we didn't have in February last year. We have vaccines now. Are we under? Are you, Norman, are you underplaying the role that vaccines could be playing in getting us out of this? No, absolutely not. So vaccines can. They will reduce transmission to some extent. Um, it's unknown, really, the extent to which it will reduce transmission with the Delta variant. But the, the evidence is it could be anywhere between 20 and 50%, maybe even better than that. That's, that's really good and significant. Add masks to that, then you're really cutting down transmission quite dramatically. So that's a really good thing. But you've got to get vaccines into arms. You've got to get vaccines into a lot of arms. The question then is, how long is it going to take to get citywide, not just in the southwestern suburbs, but citywide, very high levels of immunization, 40%. We said this the other day, 40% of people aged over 60 have still not had their Astra vaccine. That should be 90, 95% of people. Get the Astra into your arm now. Um, stop, you know, stop blaming younger people. Stop blaming other people. Just get it done. Stop waiting for Pfizer when you're going to be in the back of the queue behind 12-year-olds. 
get the Pfizer now. We each need to do our own thing, and vaccines are a very important part of that strategy. But we've got to get to very high levels very quickly to see this contributing to a turnaround. And it will contribute to a turnaround, but not just yet. Yeah, millions of Australians are currently eligible for vaccines. If that's, if you're one of them, go and get one. And of course, what we're chasing here is immunity. And Fred's got a question about that, Norman. Fred's asking, what's the latest on natural immunity? How long does it last? And I presume those who were actually inve- infected should still get vaccinated. So last good questions, Fred. I'll ask the last one first. Yes, people who are who've been infected still should still get vaccinated. And some of the clinical trials that have been done have been on people who've already been infected and they get a good immune response. You you do maybe get a few more side effects after your vaccine if you've had an infection before, which just shows you your immune system is you know, tickled up, if you like, um, by that previous infection. But plenty of people who've been infected with natural infection do get reinfected because of the new variants. And this is probably the first time in medical history that the vaccines give you a better immunity than natural infection. So yes, a long answer to a short question. First question was, how long does it last? Well, it, it probably lasts quite a long time, you know, certainly, certainly many months. But whether or not it's effective at resisting variants is, is, a, is another issue. And a question from Nat saying, Jerome Weimar, who's the commander of the COVID response in Victoria, has mentioned that many of the new cases were testing positive on day 13 in isolation. And Nat asks, doesn't Delta have a quicker onset than the other strains? Well, there have been episodes talked about. I think one was at Amy Park in Victoria, where there was a 29-hour Uh, from catching the virus to transmitting it. And it looks as though, on average, the Delta is a bit earlier than other strains because because you produce so much virus, which is one of the reasons why it's so uh, contagious. But there's a range here, and that range can be quite considerable. You don't know whether some of these people have actually had COVID in the past, uh, maybe have been partially resisting the Delta, and then it's come as a breakthrough infection. There's a lot of things that could actually be happening here. They might have got a low dose of Delta when they were in contact with the other person and that that's had a slower takeoff in your body. All sorts of reasons here. It's a range. Yeah, you think about that bell curve and maybe a few people get it really early and a few people get it really late. Most of them get it in the middle, but there's a pretty broad range there. That's why you go to 14 days. I mean, some countries have gone for 21 days. And a question, a highly scientific question related to our conversation yesterday, Norman, about whether if you got vaccinated and then immediately afterwards a shark chomped your arm off, would you still get um, the benefits of vaccination? Uh, Another listener has asked, can sharks get COVID? Look, I tried to get this answer, but the shark ate my microphone. And just on uh, another part of the chat that we were having yesterday on viral evolution and why we've seen that perhaps uh, the Delta variant might be more virulent, uh, that is causing worse disease than previous uh, versions of the virus. And I made the comment that I didn't think that happened. Well, Peter has messaged in saying a virus can evolve to increased transmissibility, so contagiousness and virulence, as long as the increase in virulence occurs after the infectious period. The host, that is you or me, a human, just needs to survive long enough for it to successfully transmit. So that's interesting. And that fits with COVID-19 because you get the serious problems with COVID-19, maybe 12 days to 21 days after you've actually had the initial infection. So you, you, so in other words, you're at your maximum infectivity well before you get seriously ill. Yeah, and then Peter made the comment that HIV, as an example, has 100% mortality if it's left untreated. So, I mean, if that's not a good example, I don't know what is. Yeah.
Well, that's all we've got time for on today's Coronacast. If you've got a question or a comment, message us, abc.net.au slash coronacast. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then.